and welcome back to the Freewheeling Podcast. This week is a little bit different once more. We are going to reintegrate the interviews that I used to do back into the podcast. Don't worry, there's still going to be awesome chats between myself, Lauren, Amy, and Gracie. But for the off season coming up and hopefully next year, I'll get to chat with some really amazing women in the sport, out of the sport, around the sport. Heck, might even throw in a man or two. So really, really excited to get those interviews back up and running. That was the whole reason I got into podcasting in the first place was to try to introduce the world to some of the incredible women who are in women's cycling. So really, really excited to get that off the ground today. Don't worry, Amy, Lauren, and Gracie and I will be back later this week to talk about the CMAC Ladies Tour and the GP de Plue, two races that happened since we last recorded, and they were, whew, they were exciting. You'd think that a six-day race that was absolutely flat, actually stage four and five turned out to be not so flat, but you'd think that a pan-flat race would be boring and it was definitely not boring. So we will be back later this week to talk about that. But for now, I'm really, really excited to chat with Lizzie Dignan, an absolute legend of the sport. She rides for Trek Segafredo. She is a former world champion, multiple-time Olympian, and she is a mom, one of the few moms in the Peloton. She's not the only one, but I'm really excited to talk to her about everything from keeping her mood up when the races aren't going her way to how being a mom has changed her to the missed doping tests from 2016. We talk a little bit about that. Before we dive into that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift offers a fantastic way to do uninterrupted training right from the comfort of your home. Intervals outside are always kind of tricky business. You have to find the perfect road. You have to make sure there's no lights, no stop signs. Hopefully a car doesn't get in your way. It's always a little bit of a pain in the butt when you have to find the right place to do intervals outside. But with Zwift, it's always uninterrupted. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. All you have to worry about is getting the work done. Zwift has a variety of different landscapes. So no matter where you ride, you can see beautiful places whilst performing the perfect intervals. You can even try one of Zwift's many, many, many workouts they have already built into the app. Those are awesome because they package everything perfect for you in a way where all you have to do is click train, pick your interval and start. And the resistance is preset on your smart trainer and it tells you exactly how long you have to go It breaks up the ride so, so easily so that the ride actually goes by a lot faster and you have a goal to work for the entire ride. So try the uninterrupted training on Zwift and thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. Now, let's chat with Lizzie Dignan. So we are back for this freewheeling episode with Lizzie Dagnan. Lizzie, hello. How's it going? Hello. Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for thanks for making the time. You've been back from the Olympics for a week now? Two weeks? Three weeks? I don't know. Where does the time go? 
Uh, yeah, it feels like ages, actually. I had um, I had a break in Ireland. We went to see my husband's family, which was really nice post kind of, well, not post pandemic. I know we're still in one, but travel restrictions being lifted meant that we could finally go home and see people. So that was really nice. So kind of been back back to training a week now. I guess you've had a lot more time at home in the last year and a half than you would have had in the past. Yeah, I would say I loved the first lockdown. Like that was just heaven because we went back to the UK um, and I spent loads of time with Phil and all the weather was really good. There was like no pressure. It was really nice. Um, But then kind of the drawn out second, third kind of weird half lockdown things have been quite tough just because, yeah, we don't live at home and we're our families are in two different countries. So, um, yeah, it's been tough not being able to see everybody. But I think having the perspective that, you know, we're still pretty lucky in comparison to a lot of people, then it's kind of helped. How's um, the training and everything been for you since COVID? I, it's interesting to get different perspectives on how the shifting season has changed how people approach training and everyone is kind of what used to be kind of uniform is now turned into everyone's doing something different. Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely learned from like the off season this year, because normally in off season, I go on a holiday and I go home and I see people and I really switch off. Whereas like last year's off season was not really an off season because the season went on so long and then when we did come home there was no opportunity to go on holiday or see people and again at Christmas so actually with hindsight I think I ended up overtraining a bit this winter because there was just never a time where I took a week off like normally I go home and take a week off at Christmas but I didn't and everything was going so well that I was just kind of going with it Mm -hmm. until kind of caught up with me in the spring and I got sick and that was a bit rubbish it's easier to handle it if you know you've not done enough like if you've not trained hard enough then you've only got yourself to blame but if you've trained too hard then it's a bit harder to swallow I think what do you do if you've trained too hard just ride it out just rest yeah unfortunately like some periods of rest just don't work it's about really stepping back so I kind of Luckily, I had the support of my team. They allowed me to step back in the spring. I didn't do the Ardennes anymore. And I just, I stopped for about three weeks in the middle of the season, which is quite hard to do mentally, especially in an Olympic year. But I think it worked out. When you had to take a break, what do you do? Kind of sit down and look, do you completely just, you know, you're not going to race. You don't know when you're going to come back. Is it by feel or do you kind of target you look at a race and you're like well I really hope I'm okay by here and yeah I mean I I knew that um Turingen would be a really nice race to go to like I'm lucky enough to have experience at most races so I know what to expect from them and I thought Turingen would be a really good point to come back because um you stay in a nice hotel you stay there every day like it's very straightforward there's not that much pressure um, the field is good and the, the roads are really tough, but it's not the hardest race of the year. Um, and it's a stage race. So it kind of builds back your form. So I, I had touring in mind as the place where I wanted to come back. And luckily, Lucinda was absolutely flying. So it was a really like positive race to come back to, too. Yeah, you guys did really well there. I love that race. It's so great. Yeah, it's a really nice race. Good bread like in the mornings (laughs) um and yeah really nice people I don't know it's just um it reminds me of racing when I was younger I guess 
there is like this very interesting thing in women's cycling with the lower ranked races where it does feel kind of like going back in your back in time in your career. It feels like you're with the national team again, or kind of on a smaller team and it's not, you know, there aren't buses. Yeah, there aren't buses and you kind of, it's a good place to go and get some perspective and think, God, I've achieved a lot and I've come a long way since when I started. So yeah. Yeah, I really like that race. Are there any other races that you just really love to do that maybe aren't on the world tour radar? Uh, yeah, Ardesh. I'm doing that this year too. So that's, um, we actually stay on a camping site. It's very low key, but um, I really like it. It's just hard roads, hard racing, but no real pressure. There's obviously still pressure, you being who you are on the team that you're on. How do you kind of deal with the pressures of needing to perform while you are also dealing with overtraining? I suppose it's just experience. Experience definitely helps with dealing with pressure. I know like, like last year, 2020, I started the season and I had three consecutive crashes and two of them were like on my face. And it was just like, Oh, you know, when is, when is the luck going to turn around? And when I, when am I going to kind of, feel like I'm getting the reward for all the hard work but sometimes it takes a couple of weeks and sometimes it takes a couple of months sometimes it takes a season but it does always turn around as long as you keep plugging away and I think having the experience of going through the ups and downs I kind of just I'm pretty good at just rolling with it now a lot better than I used to be just from having to do it for years and years (laughs) yeah I think so and I actually think like having maternity leave really helps because your body changes hugely. You have a year off from racing and you just think you've got this massive mountain to climb, but it's amazing what your body is capable of and um, how quickly you can turn it around. So I think that definitely helped too. How fast did you get back into training after you had Orla? Um, Six weeks after I, yeah. So, but training, not really, probably more like 12 weeks properly training. But you were still doing... Well, you were still riding while you were pregnant. I saw a lot of on, uh, like trainer indoor stuff. Yeah, I did do quite a lot of indoor stuff, but I actually went outside too, because I started to feel like I needed to for my mental health. I need to be outside. Um, and I needed the space and prior to getting pregnant, I was like, gosh, I'd never do that. You know, I'd never risk it, but you kind of, you get to a point where you realize it's worth it's worth it for your mental health to carry on that's normal and to carry, you know, hold on to a bit of your identity. And I definitely need fresh air and views and all that to, to keep me happy. How, how much has going through pregnancy tra- uh, the team switch that happened during your pregnancy and then coming back into racing and having to build your way back up into being one of the best in the world? How much has that impacted your career now versus maybe how you were before I just feel like I'm very different in lots of different ways um I mean I had a really yeah shitty experience in Rio um because of missing um three tests and the kind of fallout from that and it was just like wow I was like I was being abused and trolled online and all these things and I was like what am I doing this for why am I riding my bike like um, you know (laughs) just to be abused constantly and it was really 
it was really a traumatic thing to go through and obviously unless you're in that kind of center of it it's hard to understand what it feels like but um I'd just totally fallen out of love with cycling and I hated it I hated literally every pedal stroke and and that was quite hard um and actually having the break and having Orla was the best thing that ever happened because I completely fell back in love with cycling and just was like it was my release and I felt truly myself like my kind of so much of my identity is part of being a cyclist I suppose and um I needed that alongside being a mum and um I suppose you just have the perspective that you know it doesn't really matter what strangers think about you anymore when you've got something so precious at home that you know you're doing a good job about it's like the whatever <laughs> the internet trolls they are they're wild and it's crazy how they they have no idea like the reasoning behind any of it I know you did an interview with Orla Shenoui about kind of the reasoning behind the missed tests and um and that it's you know human there's human reasons behind and it's crazy that they don't they have no idea what those reasons are and and they feel like they're they have the right to internet troll you (laughs) it's yeah yeah it was it was a really kind of tough thing to go through and I think I grew a lot as a person through it and realized a lot of different things and um yeah, I'm just fortunate that I didn't stop, that it didn't break me because it was close to breaking me. But I'm happy that I took the moment to kind of where Phil decide what was going to make me happy ultimately. And becoming a mum was like something that I'd put on hold because of what I thought people or society expected of me. And then having that kind of rip from underneath me and like make me think, well, who am I? <laughs> who am I making choices for here you know so actually deciding to do something for myself and to make me happy was having Orla and then yeah it's been great since was there any moment well before the falling back in love with cycling where you were like I'm gonna do something else I'm gonna be a teacher I'm gonna do something else with my life I'm not gonna go back to it you know, I wish there was. <laughs> I'm not one of those cyclists who has a second passion or a second plan. Like, I'm very much at a loss as to what I'm going to do next, apart from have hopefully more kids. That, that's my life plan, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a totally, totally legit life plan. I love it. I know, yeah. But it was, I mean, it was really interesting. We had these Olympic handbooks and you could like read about different people at the Olympics and there's some high achievers out there, you know, <laughs> there's people who are like doing double degrees and going to the Olympics and having kids, three of them, you know, like it just, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy what people are capable. It's, it's impressive. I, there's all the athletes that have like PhDs and then are athletes and you're just like, how, how do you, how do you find the time? <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm, I'm not a PhD athlete. <laughs> So how different was the Rio experience to the Tokyo experience? Yeah, both totally bonkers, really. Both totally weird. Um, I I feel really grateful that I had that London experience because the Olympics is such a weird race. Um, And Tokyo particularly was a really kind of anticlimactic experience because it was like, trained really hard was in great shape and then there was this kind of weird tactical race where it wasn't 
really like I physically wasn't exhausted at the end of it obviously there are some races that you finish and you you're dropped and it's fine I mean physically weren't capable of being there but in Tokyo I was and I was just like it's kind of weird but then the whole thing was a bit weird because of COVID and the pandemic and um I just yeah I was really disappointed but at the same time I could put it into place quite quickly and move on from it I think that's what's really lucky about cyclists that we have so many more races I think it's so much pressure for some athletes and for some sports to be at your very best for one day in four years and I think for every gold medal there's a lot of hurt for a lot of athletes and I sometimes think oh gosh is it is it worth it like you have to be able to put it into perspective otherwise it's definitely not worth it yeah and I mean you get to maybe it wasn't what you had hoped it would be it was a weird race and one where I think for you and for a lot of the hopefuls who only had one teammate, um, there's not much you can do <laughs> when the race goes down the way it did. But you still have the Worlds this year. You get to kind of refocus on the rest of the season. So it, it definitely, it's cool that cycling has that. Yeah, for sure. We have so many goals. I mean, like we still have Paris-Roubaix as well, which is a huge goal. So yeah, there was definitely things to focus on pretty quickly afterwards so so how long do you get to kind of reset your your brain reset your your hopes and your goals for the rest of the season and then kind of get back into it get back into the training and everything that comes with being a professional cyclist well this time around I said like physically I felt okay because I kind of had that time off in the spring um Physically, I didn't feel like I needed a break after Tokyo, but mentally I was absolutely done. I was like, I need to not see a bike for a week. So I had, in the end, I think it was about nine days completely off the bike um, and then like a week of just riding easy rides. So um, I think because I'd done the big block of the Giro leading into Tokyo, like I don't feel out of shape or whatever so and hopefully I mean the season's long it goes till the end of October so hopefully I've made the right call there yeah another one of those weird seasons but at least this time you've learned to take a break in the off season (laughs) yeah exactly yeah I will be having a break this off season and I will be having a break at Christmas whatever happens (laughs) so when do you get when do you start thinking about next year not until the season's over are you already planning not until the season's over. Too far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. One season at a time. <laughs> one race at a time. No, I mean, I definitely phase plan and I look at where I want to be like peaking in terms of performance. But um, yeah, I've not thought about next year yet. No way. Do you still coach yourself? Um, no, my husband coaches me. So yeah, I um, previous to having Phil coach me I would have been like what husband wife coaching sure that's a good idea um but actually I was coaching myself until we had Orla and then I kind of was coming back to fitness and I was just like you know what I just need to do some different exercises (laughs) I've been doing these intervals for a long time now I just need some different um yeah some different stimulus and obviously Phil knows what he's talking about because he's been he'd been a pro for so many years and worked with some really good coaches and I kind of started to see what he was doing with his clients and I got a bit jealous and I was like why am I not like 
using him. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. So we started working together and it's been really good, actually. It's just been something that I don't have to think about anymore, which is actually quite nice. What happens if you can't do an interval, can't do the training? Oh, he's very soft on me. Oh. He's definitely, yeah. He would always be the first one to be like, oh, you look tired today. Maybe have a day off. So um, that, that's like a, if, if it's a good dynamic and you're, you wake up and you feel like crap, it's nice to have someone just be like, eh, maybe not, maybe not today. Yeah, totally. And he would definitely be err on the side of caution when it comes to that. And I would probably push myself too far. So I think we've got a good dynamic. How, how is it with him, with you being, a, the roles are reversed with you two, which is really cool. And how does he kind of, does he love it? Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's a really, really good dad. Um, and we never, you don't know how it's going to go when you become parents. I mean, your world completely turns upside down. And I think if I think about my retirement and I think about how difficult it is to transition from being a professional athlete into normal life, he was kind of just thrown in at the deep end, being coming a new father, retiring and I just honestly I just couldn't be more proud of him I think he's done so well because it's um it's tough I mean he's gone from a completely selfish profession to a completely selfless profession <laughs> professional dad <laughs> um and he's just brilliant at it yeah I know the the pandemic probably makes it a little bit more difficult but how often do him and Orla get to go see you race um, not so often. Yeah, it's a, it's been a shame. There's been a couple of opportunities where it would have been nice to have them, but the pandemic stopped it. And then actually just prior to the Giro, we stayed in a hotel because we were doing like TTT training with the team. So Phil and Ola came there, but it didn't go that well. <laughs> um, we were staying in a hotel and it was like Italian timetable. So like Ola normally eats at six o'clock restaurant wasn't open till half seven so yeah I think it was good contraceptive for the rest of the teams at the hotel to be honest (laughs) I don't know I follow you on social media and she is very cute I think it would take a lot a lot of crying to kind of (laughs) yeah she she has her moments but um yeah she's lovely she's a great kid is she into bikes yet or how do you feel about what if she wants to be a professional cyclist how do you feel about that how are you going to approach that um oh I mean she better be right <laughs> I'm joking she's got the jeans she's got the jeans why waste them <laughs> um no I think she she actually really likes mechanics and like doing things with spanners and looking at how wheels turn and stuff like that but um actually riding the bike she's not that keen on it yet mm-hmm. and that having seen you win La Course last year and race at the Olympics and she's she's got to see a ton of really cool bike racing stuff so fascinating yeah but it's still like if if I go away it's still because I'm going to a bike race so I think she's still like not that keen on bike races probably she associates them with mommy going away you know yeah how does it impact you being away from home when you're at races the fact that you've got her and and Phil back home it's tough it's definitely tough I mean the weekend races are lovely it's like a a mini break (laughs) but um the like when it's consecutive and, and when it's too much time away then it's 
then it's tough. Like July was really hard, actually. The Giro and then Tokyo was pretty tough going on us all. Um, but again, it's kind of like, you know, I speak to my sister who has a nine to five job and her kids are at school all day and she gets a couple of hours with them at night before bedtime. And probably realistically, if, if I had a nine to five job, I'd probably spend quite a lot less time with all or in all. So I just kind of try and remind myself of that, I suppose. Yeah, definitely true. Um, I guess next year then is kind of looking at the calendar next year, even though you just said you've not thought about next year yet, yet, but you've seen the calendar and there's a lot of, a lot of racing, especially with the the Tour de France and everything. Um, Mm -hmm. So that might mean more time away or do you kind of still, are you happy to skip races if that means you get to be at home for that amount of time? Um, I mean, it's really down to my employer at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, And I think Trek are really good at recognizing that happy athletes are faster athletes. So they've always been pretty um, on board and flexible with how I've approached combining being a mum. So I think I do have some say in that, but um, (laughs) another Paw Patrol episode. Hang on. Okay, Ola, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, where were we? Yes. How do I feel about lots of racing? Um, yeah, it's a lot of racing, but I think I should have some amount of flexibility from Trek. And um, I think with Ola being a year older as well, maybe it will be easier for her to come to more races. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she might be able to handle the travel a bit more. So, We'll see, but I do quite like having it separate. I think it's often better for Orla to stay at home and be in her routine and have less change. Um, and it's a lot, like it's a lot for Phil to travel on his own. And, yeah. you know, it, it bike races, you don't get to see the people that are there that much anyway. So it's sometimes it's better for her just to be at home. Are you looking forward to n- next year's schedule with like, what do you think the tour is going to be like? The Tour de France. We, we got the first ever women, well not the first ever, but we finally have a women's tour de France. How do you think it's going to impact the, the Peloton and the schedule and everything? Um, I think it's going to be huge. I hope it's going to be huge. Um, because we, I think we need it to be, I think we're at a point, it's like a tipping point now. And I think it's, um, it needs to happen and I'm really happy it's happening. I think, uh, most teams I would have thought would completely focus on it. I mean, there's other important racing around it, but I think none are as big as the Tour de France in terms of what they can do exposure-wise for their sponsors. So I expect it to be everyone on form, everyone firing and everyone going for it. Is there an element of that not being good for women's cycling? If we kind of look at how much impact the men's Tour de France has on teams on the on the calendar on how the entire season is raced and the women's side is a little bit they have a little bit more freedom there's a kind of linear line that goes linear line that's repetitive (laughs) the whole season where you see a lot of the best riders at at all the racing because there's not a ton and on the men's side you know we had two of the best in the sport Roglic and Pogacar missed the, all the lead up races to the tour because they wanted to peak for that in the Olympics, but mm-hmm. that doesn't happen on the women's side. And is there, do you see the, the tour, the women's tour de France having any kind of negative impact on women's racing? 
Uh, no, because I don't see that as a negative. I see that as um, athletes cannot perform all year all year round, and I find that actually a negative in women's cycling that it's an expectation as a leader in the team that you have to perform all year round and becoming a specialist or peaking at the right time is sometimes difficult to do if you have the pressure to perform all the time um so I hope that actually yeah maybe that it does become shaped a bit a little bit more like the Tour de France because sorry a bit more like the men's side because if you're expected to be competing at the Tour de France in top shape, then it's 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 humanly necessary to not be performing two months before it and two months after it. So um, hopefully it'll lead to more professionalism, more depth within the teams, more um, specific structure for riders within the team. Yeah, and I think it's already kind of evident that it's going to lead to teams kind of forced to be more professional, forced to pay the riders more just because of the level that teams will need to be to be able to compete at the tour, which is something that your team has, Trek Segafredo has done an amazing job of kind of setting the bar where a team should, what a team should be doing for their riders and for the sport. Yeah, Trek have been brilliant. Like they've really led the way in terms of the quality. Um, and it takes a team like that to kind of push everyone else to do it as well. Um, the standard has definitely been risen by Trek. Yeah. Well, for my final question, um, I have insider knowledge on your team. <laughs> and oh. I know from, for a fact that you're one of the most positive people on the team. And also, whenever you're around, the conversations at the dinner table are always a lot more high-spirited. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> I do know what the conversations are about, but I can't bring it up on a podcast. <laughs> How do you keep so positive? How do, what's, what's your secret? Being, I, I practice being grateful, definitely. Um, I'm, I think that's a huge thing, a huge kind of motto to live by, to be grateful for what you have. And sometimes I think I have too much perspective and I think, God, I wish I was as invested emotionally as some of my teammates in the races because I think I'm maybe missing that kind of real desire maybe but then on reflection I think well no because I'm balanced and I'm happy and it's okay but um yeah it's always to me just bike riding it's just a bike race and there'll be another one you know like um well, that's some pretty good advice for anyone listening to this who wants to know the secret to being a fast bike racer. Maybe there's there are people who thrive having it be the be-all, end-all, but it's also possible to be very good and have other things kind of that are important in life. Yeah, I think so. If you want a sustainable, um, yeah, you, like I think I definitely learned that previously. Like you put everything into something and... Actually, even if you win it, it's just a piece of metal at the end of the day. And like, they need you need to invest in your life outside to have people to celebrate with and to enjoy the moment with. Otherwise, it's yeah, it feels a bit pointless and empty and a bit weird. So it's I don't know. It's a balancing act for everyone and what makes them happy. Like it's different for everybody. But I found out that yeah, just being a really fast bike rider doesn't make me happy. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for your time. It was really awesome to catch up with you and uh, good luck with the rest of the season. Thank you very much.